Hello, and welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We are a faith-filled, family-focused church that's in Lakeville, Minnesota. In a moment, you'll be able to hear a sermon from one of our pastors. We hope that you enjoy and grow closer to God through these messages. And now, for a sermon from our lead pastor, Derek Ross. Amen. Well, you know, there's no shortage of need here in in the cities, and so I'm so grateful for all of our different partners, and uh, we look forward even to our month of missions beginning next week, and we can learn more about all that stuff. But uh, thanks for being a church. It's... uh, regularly generous. And so in this season of giving, we have that opportunity. Many of you already brought in your bags of food and that's always fun and those Christmas boxes and it's going to be a great time. Well, I love these fifth Sundays. Welcome to those watching, worshiping online and uh, it's so much fun. We're looking forward next year. We've got five of them. Yeah, we're just following the calendar, whichever month say there is five of them. And uh, that's coming up in January is the next one, so you don't want to miss it. It's going to be a great time. Acts chapter 8, this is our eighth message uh, on the church, belonging and becoming. And so uh, we're continuing on Acts chapter 8. My name is Derek, I'm the lead pastor, and uh, we're going to, I'm going to preach. That's what I'm going to do now. So if you're able, if you can open your Bible, you can stand to your feet if you're able. And uh, let's read the word together. And there's a lot of scripture. We are a Bible church, and uh, there's a lot of scripture. I'm going to just read some of the verses. I've titled the message, Church Growth. Now, that may not make a lot of sense yet, but I'm hoping at the end of the message it will, or by the end of the message, hopefully not at the end, you know, but like somewhere along the line as I'm talking, I hope it starts to click in a little bit, but uh, we're obviously talking about water baptism, and we'll get to that in a little bit. You can see it right here. And so in a few minutes, when I give a review of the series and I get to today, and I ask if you know what today's visual lesson is going to be, don't say I didn't warn you. All right, here we go. Acts chapter eight, the Bible reads like this. Let's start in verse 34. Let's read from there and on uh, through 39. It says, the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here's a holy hot tub. That's not really what he said, but he said, look, here's some water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? If you're like, I didn't bring clothes. We got extra clothes for you as well. Amen. So we're prepared for you. There's some water. What can stand in the way of being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the church clapped and celebrated in the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away. Well, I don't know if that part will happen today. And the eunuch did not see him again, but he went on his way rejoicing. I want to talk uh, for a little bit, and then we're going to celebrate with many in water baptism about church growth right here out of Acts chapter 8. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus who's revealed to us the only name that can save, set free, and deliver, that mighty and matchless name of Jesus. We ask, Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear what you're saying today. We look forward in advance as we're going to celebrate with many, uh, over a dozen that have already signed up to be baptized in this service alone. We thank you for what you're doing in our church and in every church that lifts high that name of Jesus. And it's in that name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. 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 You may be seated. 
Just as a little recap, in case you're new, or if you missed a few weeks, or if you forgot, praise the Lord, uh, the, what this series has been. This is week number eight uh, from these first eight chapters of Acts on the local church. We call it the church there. The first week was Acts chapter two, and that was called Power for Today. That was about Pentecost, and that's not just something that happened back in the Bible. The Holy Spirit's not something or somebody that was just back then. No, but he is for us, and he's got power for us today. Amen? And that visual aid was, was Mentos in the Coke, and it's not so much about, oh, we need more of the Holy Spirit in us. It's, oh, we need the Holy Spirit to leave just being contained by us and go and impact everybody else. Jesus said, you'll receive power, not to be more spiritual, but you'd receive more power to go and be witnesses. And so we need to remove that cap, that lid that we've kind of put on the Holy Spirit in our life, and, and uh, we need him to get out. The second week was proclaiming the gospel. It was the megaphone that with the help of the Holy Spirit, we can be louder so that people would hear the good news of Jesus. I'm more convinced that we need people to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. The third week was the final message from Acts chapter 2, and that was uncommon community. We realized that the community might not necessarily be for us. It's not about us, but we can be for other people. And when we go through the struggles and the problems of the day, when we're isolated, that one nail would pop the balloon. But when we're together, there's strength in community. When we have a strong circle, those pressures, that stress, that struggle that this world brings to us, it won't pop the balloon because we're together with other people. When we're strong, we can help those who are weak. When we're weak, we need people around us. And so we're going to be better together. We're going to link up. And that was uncommon community. The fourth week was all about walking in power, praying for healing, not just in the church services, but what we pray for and receive in here that we would take it with us out there. Amen. We've been sharing testimonies, what God's been doing. Um, in the first service I shared as well, uh, we had a guy uh, in the church. He's been coming for a number of months now, but he came in a, a season where he was really hurting, his, his wife had just um, politely asked him to leave the house and that the marriage would be ending. Came in hurting and broken, just praying, God, what, what am I supposed to do? It doesn't look good. And, and just was praying, um, God, God, make me a better husband, change me, change her. What do we got to do? And it's been a number of months now, but it was almost two months ago now that he received a text message from her. Again, they weren't even speaking. They said, you know what, why don't you move back home? I love to report everything's all fixed and everything's all good, but it's still a miracle in the making. But how many people know God heals people physically? He provides for us financially. Come on, but he also does miracles relationally. And we're believing in faith, just like we've seen miracles fully come to pass, that this miracle that's still in the making, this relational miracle, that he completed and that they be fully restored in the name of Jesus. Amen. Seven of you are agreeing with me and him. That's fine, but... I would have hoped more of you would pray for their marriage like you're praying for your own. Amen. Uh, week, week five was about obedient disobedience. We talked about Simon says, Simon can't make you do bad things. He can only say, if you don't do what I say, you don't get to win the prize. Remember, it was that Walmart gift card, but it wasn't anything on it. It's a fake thing. The devil never offers us good things. No matter what he says, he doesn't have good things in store. He comes only to steal, kill, and to destroy. So we got to choose to disobey him and to obey the Lord. And then uh, week six... Dangerous deception, Acts chapter five, that was Ananias and Sapphira. Remember we brought up, you know, a couple on the stage. And then I said, you know what? No illustration needed because in the Bible, people died in the church service and we're not gonna fool around and play a game with that. We're gonna get right. We don't wanna be left. Anyway, okay, no illustration needed. Then last week, Acts chapter six, preached about planning for problems. You know, we're reminded that uh, problems are not new and they're sure not new in the church. 
we're reminded of some problems, right? The Hellenistic Jews were being overlooked by the Hebraic Jews. The Greek-speaking Jews were being overlooked by the Hebrew-speaking Jews. So this whole idea of preference, bias, even racism wasn't new. It's really not an American problem. I hate to break it to our nation and people that have uh, made their business the last two and a half years saying it's an American problem. It's not. Factually, it's not an American problem. It might be a problem in America, but it's a human problem where we prefer ourselves over our neighbor. That's why we read in scripture so much, love your neighbor as you love yourself. You know, very few people struggle to think of themselves quite highly. Apostle Paul said, don't think of yourselves more highly than you ought. You know, everybody, I read a golf article this week that said 80% of golfers believe that they are above average at driving. Not like a car, but the golf ball, which they said is statistically impossible. But we all tend to think, oh yeah, I can hit it that far. You can't. <laughs> not very often anyway, right? But, but it's not just golf. We all think, uh, no. And so there's something that happened we, where we need to talk about the difference between, you know, sharing a concern where improvements can happen and spewing a complaint and not be people that fall into this divisive trap of the enemy that just brings other people down and always blames somebody else for the problem that we're in or the shortcoming. And so uh, we're not doing that. But today we're talking about church growth and the illustration is water baptism. There you go. As I said, we got a, over a dozen that signed up for it. By the way, every time we have a fifth Sunday, we're gonna receive communion together and celebrate water baptism together. There are two things, there are two sacraments uh, practices of the church that really are intended to be practiced in the context of community. That's not to say you can't receive communion on your own. There's something that happens when we get together and we remember the Lord's death and resurrection and we look forward to his soon coming return. So we gather together. The Lord's table is really the most equal place, the foot of the cross, where we gather together. Everybody's welcome to the Lord's table. That's why we even talk about that we believe in open communion. You don't need to be a member of this church. You just need to be a follower of Jesus because it's the Lord's table. It's not our table. Amen. And so we gather together. And then this idea of water baptism, where we're showing what God has done, we're testifying that he has saved us. And so uh, we always look forward to these special days together. Today's message is titled uh, Church Growth. In the 1990s, within the Assemblies of God, uh, we called it the Decade of Harvest. This church, it was a focus on church planting. And this church is one of the churches that was planted in the 90s as part of that effort as the Decade of Harvest. A number of other churches here in the South Metro, another one of my good friends, Pastor Rob Kettling at River Valley Church, was planted one year earlier, were, were products of that Decade of Harvest. And it was this idea that if we're going to reach everybody, we're going to need more pastors, we're going to need to plant more churches to reach the amount of people. You know, the same need is still true today. If everybody in the cities attended church, we would not have enough church services to facilitate everybody coming to church. So we still need to be planting churches, and, and so, but I'm thankful for that emphasis. That, that church planting emphasis uh, did not officially shift into church growth emphasis, but it unofficially did. We didn't print a banner that said church growth, but, but we started following a lot of um, business practices and books. Like my dad's second favorite book, other than the Bible, of course, <laughs> he wants me to make sure I mention that, is Good to Great. It's by Jim Collins. And so you can utilize business practices and they were helpful because the church kind of got stuck. We planted a bunch of churches, but then we thought just praying would fix all of our problems. 
And Acts 6 showed us just praying doesn't fix all your problems. You gotta have good plans. And there's principles. Yes, even that Christian business leaders or, or unchristian principles uh, or people that have used these principles that helped us become more efficient and effective within the ministry of the church. But we had an emphasis on church growth or business and leadership within the church for so long that some, not all, that some were deceived into thinking that we could manufacture a move of God. Because church planting is more than looking at a map and just picking a place where there's growth and increase in the city and you know what, we're gonna go there. Church growth is more than figuring out what marketing scheme could we come up with and plan to just get more behinds in the seats. Church growth recently because of some of these abuses or what I would say is misconceptions or mission drifts, church growth has gotten a bad rap and all of a sudden people are like, no, we don't wanna grow, which the truth is that's not biblical. Therefore, today, within the message of church growth, I'd like to highlight right from the book of Acts that church growth is not only a good thing, it's a God thing. But it might look and sound a little different than some of the seminars or books that have circulated in our day. All right, number one, look at this right here from Acts chapter eight, verses one to eight. The church grows when people are scattered. Now this point, I warn you up front, is not really an awesome one to say a bunch of amens during. So you can save all your amens that you weren't gonna say anyway because you're quiet in church for points two, three, and four, but I'm just letting you know, there will be no spontaneous round of applause in this point, I get it. Look at what it says. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Now, what had just happened, Acts chapter 7, Stephen was called in. He was the first martyr. Stephen was called in to testify before the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders, uh, about his faith in Jesus Christ, and he would not recant. He would not go back, and they stoned him to death. He was the very first martyr for his faith. And, And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. You know, I've never heard Acts chapter one or eight and verse one quoted in a church growth seminar. But it's the Bible. And friends, the church grows when people are scattered. It said, godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. I would always remind us, be careful if we're destroying what God is building. Going from house to house, he dragged off men and women and put them in prison. But look at this. The church grew when people were scattered. It says, those who'd been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. And then look at this verse 8. It's so different than what we would expect after verse 1. It said, so there was great joy in that city. Friends, I would contend that there was great joy in that city because there was persecution in a different city. 
Here's the overarching truth here, friends. Persecution has never hindered kingdom expansion. It's never hindered or limited true church growth. Now, I'm not saying it's pleasant, and I'm not praying for it here at this church or in our nation or even around the world. But it was Jesus who declared, I will build my church, and the gates of hell, persecution, shall not prevail. So if Jesus is building his church, in fact, I would say it this way, that I believe God allowed persecution to scatter his people to go into all the world with his message. I didn't say God desired the persecution. I didn't say God planned for it, but I do believe God allowed it to be the very thing that got people, his church, out of their comfort zone and to go into all the world. You see, many of us, we too can become quite comfortable in our own little circle. We can come and we can enjoy the ministry and the wonderful preaching. We can make a few friends and we can do all of this while ignoring the Great Commission. Jesus said we need to go into all the world and make disciples. See, the stuff we read about here in Acts chapter 8, it's not just a Bible story. It's still happening today all around the world. It's more than just public pressure. There is legitimate and and physical persecution still happening to this day. We'll share more about this, you know, beginning next week in our month of missions. Uh, I'm telling you, don't miss it. Sign up, especially Taste of Nations, because it's not online. We'll be able to talk about some extra countries and things going on and some friends that will be with us. Um, But many of our brothers and sisters today are still being persecuted for their faith around the world. But it's interesting, every report that we hear back and those that we talk with, leadership, I'm captivated by the reality that that those believers are not asking God to remove or stop the persecution. They're praying to remain faithful witnesses for the glory of God. Their church buildings have been burned. Their property's been confiscated. But friends, the church has not been silenced. Right? The proclamation of the gospel in those nations has not been diminished. When the Christians were scattered, their voices actually multiplied because now they could tell others about Jesus in many areas far from their original villages. I'll share a little bit more next Sunday night, but in one nation during COVID, uh, the government kind of clo- not only closed the buildings, but took over their property, forced them to start meeting in homes. And uh, the leader of that nation said, I kind of wish the government had closed our buildings sooner. Because now the church has really begun to grow. What an exciting time when we realize that the church grows when people are scattered. But here's the thing that might be a bigger challenge for us here in America. Um, Persecution and scattering reveals who we were all along. It doesn't change us. It just reveals who we were. You know, uh, all of us, COVID gave us the opportunity to show what we believe and who we really are. Coming out of this time, I'm more convinced than ever that our time is getting short and therefore uh, there's only an increased amount of urgency in my spirit that we make the most of these days and proclaim the truth of God's word with the love of Christ to everyone we encounter. Why? Because none of us are promised tomorrow. 
read this. This is what happened to these apostles that were so grateful for how they were used in the account of them in Scripture. Listen to what happened to them. Matthew suffered martyrdom by being slain with the sword in a city of Ethiopia. Mark expired at Alexandria, having been cruelly dragged through the streets of that city. Luke was hanged in an olive tree in the classic land of Greece. John was put in a cauldron of boiling oil, but escaped death in a miraculous manner, but then afterwards was banished to Patmos. Peter was crucified in Rome with his head down. James was beheaded at Jerusalem. Philip was hanged against a pillar in Phrygia. Bartholomew was flayed alive. Andrew was bound to a cross where he preached to his persecutors until he died. Thomas was run through the body with a lance in the East Indies. Jude was shot to death with arrows. Matthias was first stoned and then beheaded. Barnabas of the Gentiles was stoned by the Jews at Salonika. None of us are promised tomorrow and everyone will give an account for what we did, for those of us who are saved, forgiven by Jesus, not for the sins that we've committed, but we'll give an account for what we did with the opportunities that we were given. I pray that we be found faithful like the men and women that have gone before us. The church grows when people are scattered. A little bit more encouraging here is point number two, that the church grows when people are sent. People are dispersed either way, but one is because there's major persecution. This one is the call of God. The church grows when people are sent. We can understand this as in a missionary context, but I believe it can also be missional and how we respond to the whole prompting of the Holy Spirit in our everyday lives. Verses 26 to 29 read like this. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road. How many people know if God called your pastor that way, I'd have needed some clarity. I'm like, which way do I turn at Chick-fil-A? You know, I don't know. Go south to the road. Lord, which way? You know, to the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury for the queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship and on his way home was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah the prophet and the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. You know, this message really is a fitting conclusion to these eight weeks on the church and then beginning our month of missions as we launch into what God is doing. I remember three years ago, uh, praying all year that God would call people from our church to go and serve him around the world, to be a missionary, a worker, in another land. And wouldn't you know it, we prayed all year and in that very first November, uh, three years ago, God had called the Royakers to go and they didn't know where exactly, but they sent me an email. They said, you know, pastor, as you said, that's what you're praying for. We're the, that family. We're those who will respond first, but how many people know whatever happens first, it's not last. And then since then, then we had another couple about half a year later, and then another couple a year later. And uh, to God be the glory, we pray he continues to call people to go and serve him around the world. But you know, it's difficult at first. I remember when I first heard that that prayer was being answered and I was like, you ever pray a prayer that you were like, oh, I didn't know it'd feel like this when it was answered. <laughs> Like, why did you have to call people we like? You know what I mean? Like, you know, you know what I'm saying. You know what it is. Like, you thought of people too. You were like, oh, they're moving. Bye. You know, like, um, but, but really when we think about it uh, with a kingdom mindset, aren't you glad God's not calling the leftovers the worst of the worst? God's calling our best. 
he's calling men and women of high character and uh, uh, high skill and, and that are willing to go and serve him, use their talents, gifts, and abilities. Remember, we said we need all kinds of people doing all kinds of things to go to all kinds of places. And so we're saying, God, would you continue to call people? And the church grows when people are sent. Why? Because when we hear reports from them about what God is doing around the world, we realize that we share in the harvest with them. As we've prayed, as we've sent, as we've given to support them in that call, we no longer wallow in our sorrows of losing a friend, but we celebrate in the kingdom as the church is growing. So often people are called and they need to go before they really find out who they'll minister to. I remember that when, when we were called to come here. We, we had not met most of you, probably because most of you were not attending this church seven years ago before we came. But also even those that were here, you know, when we knew we were called, we need to be obedient even before we have all the details. Right? And what do I mean by this? As I was looking, it says, the Lord told Philip, just go to that region. And on the way, he was being obedient and God brought him to that divine appointment. God didn't tell him exactly who he'd be ministered to. In other words, there wasn't time for him to be prepared. He just needed to obey. And so what I want to say here, friends, is that sent people need to be prepared people. What do I mean? Peter gives us this instruction, always be ready to give an answer about the hope that we profess. Sent people need to be prepared people. One of my biggest concerns about the church of Jesus Christ, Christians here in America, is our lack of biblical literacy. Why? Because a lack of biblical literacy is really a lack of missional preparedness. Biblical literacy is way more than kids in junior Bible quiz answering some questions for a trophy. Biblical literacy is for all of us. It's for the adults. Are we who serve Jesus ready to share our faith with someone God brings our way? A lack of biblical literacy is really a lack of missional preparedness. And if we delay, I believe we'll miss out on some divine appointments. So if you're not prepared biblically, get prepared. Like today, reach out, ask for help. We're trying to, how can we help? Because I'm telling you, friends, God is working in people's lives. Look, God was speaking to Philip to go as he was working on the the Ethiopian's life. He, He had gone to a church service. He was reading the prophet Isaiah, but he didn't understand. They were both praying and they needed to obey at the same time. So the time is now to get prepared. Here's another reason that we need people to be sent. We need people to be prepared with the good news of Jesus Christ so that church growth is not solely dependent upon a church service. This is important. As I mentioned, we don't have enough seats. We don't have enough churches to reach everybody in our cities. But we cannot afford, as the days are short, to wait seven more days for people to get saved. We cannot afford to say, well, I hope next week the pastor gives you a chance to get saved. No, we need people who are prepared and willing to be sent to go south on the road that goes from one city to the next and be used by God. 
We need spiritual conversations taking place around dinner tables and on school buses and not just in a corporate church service. We need faith-filled men and women who study the scriptures to go into all the world, to go to their place of business, to go to their neighborhood, to be used by God to come alongside those whom the Holy Spirit has already been working on. Bill Bright, the president of Campus Crusade, said that tragically, after millions of surveys that they conducted around the world, their studies indicate that approximately 98% of Christians do not regularly introduce others to the Savior. We cannot afford to limit those who are sent to just the pastor or just a few select people. We need each and every person to be sent. And the truth is, Jesus is sending us all. The question is, are we willing to go and be used by him? Number three, the church grows when people are saved. Oh, this is so good. Verses 30 to 35, it says, Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Notice this, I believe... Here's something that will help us when it comes to the approach of evangelism and explaining the things of God. Philip asked him a question. Could I suggest that it would not hurt our cause, the cause of Jesus Christ, evangelism, witnessing, if we led with a question instead of being a know-it-all believer? Look at what he said. By the way, that doesn't mean he didn't know the answer, but he just understood the context of the conversation. He said, do you understand what you're reading? What if he'd walked up, he's like, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're reading. Well, what must I do to be saved? Praise the Lord. Like, that's phenomenal. No, come on, we can learn something here. He just walked up, he said, do you understand it? And here's what the Ethiopian said. He said, well, how can I unless someone explains it to me? Right, we read that from Paul, wrote that in Romans, right? How can they hear unless they're, they're preached to? How can they preach unless they're sent? He said, so how can I know what it is unless somebody explains it to me? So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. He could tell, I think, by divine appointment for this conversation to take place. And look at what he said. This is the passage of scripture that he was reading. Not necessarily the first one that we would teach you to use, but it's where he was at. I think this is also important. It says, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter, Isaiah said, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, verse 33, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, Who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Verse 35, I think Philip said, I thought you'd never ask. What did he say? He he, he began with that passage of scripture. So he asked a question, then he began where he was at. And look at this though, and he told him the good news about Jesus. I don't really remember when, but I did two weeks on personal evangelism and witnessing, and, and I pray you go back, find when those were, and you can find them online, but, but it always has to be about Jesus. It's never about in what we've done or what we can do or what we should do. The gospel, the gospel presentation is always about Jesus. There's no other name given among men under heaven by which we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. And Philip 
obeyed. He responded to the call of God in his own life at the same time that the Ethiopian was pondering the scriptures in his own. Let me just say it this way. The Holy Spirit, as it were, is at work in more ways than we recognize. If you'll obey what God's asking you to do, he'll bring you to people he's already working on. We're just coming alongside being a part of what he is already doing. The eunuch, I believe, wanted to say yes to the gospel. He had just gone to church and couldn't get the answers he was looking for. And so he was reading again, but he needed somebody to explain it to him. You know, friends, 42% of the world is still waiting to hear about Jesus for the first time. 42% of the world still doesn't have access to the gospel. Like, I know this is the end of the, the local church book of Acts series, but, and it's not missions month yet, but Pastor Vicente, he just, uh, he, he knows my passion for it. He told our whole board, he's like, well, if Pastor Derek wasn't a lead pastor, he'd be a missions pastor. I said, that's my retirement plan. Because <laughs> I want to be part of what God is doing, preaching the good news of Jesus until all have had a chance to say yes to him. We need people to explain the gospel so it can be understood. We, we, th- this involves learning different languages and cultures, explaining it in ways. You know, sometimes uh, when I'm talking with my kids, I realize I don't have a clue about the language that they're using at their schools. And I'm not even going to use some of it because then my 13-year-old is going to tell me I didn't even say it right. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> but how many people know we can pray that God will raise people up who understand the language? When we do child dedications, God make them a prophet to their generation. We believe God can raise people up and explain the gospel so it can be understood. And therefore, they can accept the good news for the salvation of their soul. It's really hard to accept what you can't understand. And so I'm praying for spirit-filled believers to explain the gospel in ways that people can understand. But sadly, many people are unwilling to be sent because they're unprepared to give an answer for the hope they profess. Uh, Briscoe, S. Briscoe, in his book, Getting Into God, wrote this. Uh, it's a personal account in his own life. He said, feeling a concern for witnessing can mean that you'll have to stand up and be counted. And this can bring some degree of abuse. Years ago, he says, I was praying with one of my children at bedtime, and I asked him if he had any problems we should pray about. But he couldn't think of any, even though I could sure think of a bunch. (laughs) Rather unwisely, I pressed the point and asked, don't you have any problems at school? No, he replied quite firmly. Well, don't the kids give you a hard time because you're a Christian? Again, the answer was no. And thinking back to my own traumatic school days, I said, but the kids always give you a hard time if you tell them you're a Christian. And he said, my son's reply was frank beyond belief all the more reason you don't let them know. And he quite happily turned over and went to sleep. He says, with the refreshing candor of the very young, he had put into words the practical reasons why many Christians don't witness. They don't want to take the consequences. But friends, people cannot be saved unless they have the gospel explained to them. 
Dear brothers and sisters, when God is at work in someone's life and we are willing to be used by him through our obedient testimony, I could tell you people will be saved and the church will grow. I wondered this week what our services would feel like if we were all ministering the gospel throughout the week and then corporately celebrating the many individual salvations that had taken place in the last seven days. Can you imagine the excitement leading up to the Sunday services if we were expectant that we would get to meet a new believer again this week? I would say we can and we should live that way, and I believe God wants us to because when people get saved, the church always grows. Number four, and uh, I'm gonna close and when we're done with this and we're gonna respond with water baptism so I think the worship team can start getting ready. Number four, the church grows when people are submerged. Look at that, all four points started with S. It could have been baptized. Some of you are like, pastor, it could have been sprinkled. No, it couldn't have. It could not have. That's the S. It's not the same. I'm going to explain that when they're submerged. <laughs> Verse 36, as they traveled along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, look, here's some water. It's a holy hot tub. What can stand in the way of being baptized? So they baptized him. Um, I just want to mention as people, yeah, that's right. If you did sign up, you could be dismissed at this time. Pastor Vicente is meeting you out there. If you didn't sign up, but you want to get baptized, you could talk with Pastor Vicente. We've got clothes. You can go at this time as well out to the back and they'll point you around and, and we're going to get ready to celebrate in a few minutes because the name of our church is celebration. So we're not going to give them a golf clap. We're going to go crazy like it was our son or daughter, like it was our husband or wife, like it was us who just said yes to Jesus. Amen. Water baptism is not a declaration of perfection. It's an indication of a new direction. That's important for us to mention. You don't need to be perfect to get baptized in water. Newsflash, we'd all be dry if that was the case, right? Like, like we're not saying, oh, they're saying they're perfect. No, 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 no. We're just saying we're going a new direction in Jesus. Salvation happens in a moment, right? We raise our hand in a service. We pray uh, a prayer on the side of the road. Wherever it happens, salvation, it's a personal choice, but it needs to be publicly celebrated. It's a personal choice. So these 12 or, or plus, that are, they've said yes to Jesus. It's a personal choice, but in a few moments, we're going to publicly celebrate it. Why? Because it's important to let other people know, this is what Jesus has done for me. Amen. Right? It goes in line with that 15-second testimony that we've talked about. Once I was, I was lost, I was selfish, I was hopeless, but then Jesus came. He saved me, and he set me free. Now I've got hope and a purpose. That, that's what we're doing. Why, why do we say Submerged not sprinkled. Well, number one, Jesus was baptized all the way underwater. That's why we do it that way. Here it says, when they went down in the water and then came back up out of the water, it's hard to come back up out of a sprinkle. But it's more than just a physical act. It represents a spiritual thing that says we're dead. We go into the waters of baptism. We say we're, we're dead to our sin. We're identifying with the burial of Jesus. He, was, he lived a perfect life. He was crucified on the cross. He was buried in a tomb for three days. We are dead to sin. And when we come back up out of the water, we're identifying with his resurrection. I was this way. I'm now dead to sin, but now I've been made alive in Christ. That we're, we're symbolizing that we're not the way that we once were. Word. That's why water baptism is not required for you to be saved. 
but it is an indication, a proclamation that you are saved. And so we're, we're dead to sin, but now we are alive in Christ. These are evidences of biblical church growth. If you've noticed uh, on these points, none of them were about a Sunday morning church attendance statistical total. Did you, did, did you see that? But, but all of them represent growth in the church. Um, I serve on a national committee called Assemblies of God Looking Forward. Um, there's about less than a dozen of us. I get to serve on that at the request of our national leader, General Superintendent Doug Clay. And um, we study statistics and we pray and we ask the Lord, where are you leading us in the next decade plus? Where are you leading us as we look forward? And I'm one of the two uh, under 40 representatives. Now that I'm 40, I say it's 40 and under. <laughs> but anyway, um, we were looking and there were some national studies done. I won't say the names of the other denominations, but in the last 30 years, um, the Assemblies of God is the only major denomination in America that has grown. Again, it's not about comparison to other denominations. I just think it's interesting. Globally, the church has been on the rise, but in America, many of the other, those seven other mainline denominations um, have taken steps backward in, in membership, attendance, and those kind of things. And the Assemblies of God was the only one, not by our studies, by other people that did the studies, and it was by people who had never even heard of the Assemblies of God. I was like, we're, we're, check us out, you know, but anyway. Huh? So in 30 years, we're the only one that had grown. We we're up by 47% in the last 30 years. And, but, but I was, before we, you know, broke our arm patting ourselves on the back, I was, we were looking at some statistics um, where even in the midst of growth, there was some areas that some of our churches were really missing it. I believe the most core biblical statistics, salvation, water baptism, and spirit baptism, Pentecost. And, and I looked and, According to the data that we turned in, we, the Assemblies of God. So this isn't about other people. You know, it's just, I'm an Assemblies of God pastor and leader, and that's what, why you get to be part of it too, because you're here. And so we looked at the last 20 years, just since Y2K. I don't know why we picked that, but that's what we did. We were like, there were, in any given year, 21 to 25% of all the 13,000 AG USA churches reported zero salvations in a year. Like after a whole year, nobody else had gotten saved. I'm not sure what separates us from Kiwanis or any other country club membership if people aren't saved. I looked on water baptism, 33 to 36% in any one year of all 13,000 Assemblies of God churches reported zero water baptisms. That's less than in the nine o'clock service today at our church. Zero. Again, we weren't like judging one or a hundred or a thousand, just zero. You know how many people need to be baptized to not be zero? One. I'm like, what do those pastor's kids need to get baptized again? I don't know. <laughs> Zero. We're looking at these stats. And we actually made t-shirts that said, just say no to zero. Just have one. Cancel service one Sunday. Just go out the highways and byways. Find one. 
And then spirit baptisms, it was actually the highest percent. People experiencing Pentecost in, for one year over the past two decades, 38 to 43% reported zero spirit baptisms for a whole year, 365 days. Now I'm thankful that our church has never been among those zeros in those statistics. Amen. Because when there are zero salvations, when there are zero water baptisms, when there are zero spirit baptisms, my gift of suspicion, if you're new, that's one of my spiritual gifts. It's not in the Bible, but I operate often in it. (laughs) Is that there's no church growth. You see, having church transfer is not the same as having church growth. Our goal is not for one local congregation to be larger numerically. Our goal is for the kingdom of God, the church of Jesus Christ to expand, which requires salvation. It's evidenced by water baptism. My dad traveled the nation telling everybody, water baptism is soaking wet proof of a transformed life. It's spirit baptism. It's how we're going to be empowered to go and be witnesses. So today we're going to celebrate not being a zero. But newsflash, after today, the count starts again. After today, we're not going to say, well, yeah, but, but four months ago, 12 or 20 people were baptized. I'm so thankful in the last two months we had almost 100 people say yes to Jesus Christ. I'm so thankful for what God's doing, but we can't just rest on everything that he's already done. We need to wake up tomorrow and say, God, use me again. God, who will you bring my way? I'm willing to be sent again. God, don't let me be a hindrance to the growth of your church. I I close with this. I put it there on the bottom of your notes and we're going to worship. I think kids are going to be coming in. Are they coming in, Pastor David? I don't know. They are coming. Yeah, let them keep coming in. I put it there on the bottom of your notes. I knew we were going to do water baptism, so I didn't put any blanks because some of you will not be able to sleep if I don't fill in all the blanks. I'll be one of them. So there's no blanks, but my dad had this quote written down on his desk. He had it laminated and because it was there for 30 years while he was a senior pastor. It was by J. Medford Jones. And he said this, the church is a living organism. Just remove the obstacles and it will grow. <laughs> so I feel like one of my jobs as, as a pastor is to just look at our church. One of the responsibilities I've been tasked with the church at large here in Minnesota, across the country, Assemblies of God, look for obstacles. Because Jesus is building his church and wherever we see the church not being built, odds are we might be the obstacle. It might be a system that we've created. It might be a belief system we've held to. But the natural thing for the gospel is for people to say yes. The natural response is for the church to grow because Jesus is good and his love endures forever. Amen? All right, so we are going to... Baptize people. You guys didn't go all the way over, did you, Miss Jane? We got more kids. That's okay. Tell them to keep coming. I'm not going to bite. I'm going to move in just a minute. Yeah, come on all the way over. No, that's fine. You know what? You guys stay there. That's awesome. Do whatever you want. I'm used to that. Yeah. Okay, now that's what I thought. You guys were going to come over. There we go. Come on. Yeah, we're going to wait for you. Kennedy, don't, don't make fun of your father. I'm the pastor right now. Praise the Lord. Okay. <laughs> Prophet and a pastor is without honor in his own house. Okay, here we go. And here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're, we got people getting baptized. And so in a moment, we're going to say, if you're able, you want to stand feet because our church is called Celebration Church. So when people are baptized, we don't do golf claps. Some of you don't know golf. It's 
quiet, reserved. That's, we're not that type of church. We're going to celebrate like it's our kid, like it's our dad, like it's our spouse, like it's us that's going public with that personal decision. Amen. And so the worship team is going to lead us in song. we got people coming. I think we're starting with kids. We got English speaking people, French speaking people. I don't, do we got, or Spanish people. First service was French. My fault, Pastor Judith. I can't even remember what service we're in. Praise the Lord. But uh, let's stand to our feet and uh, let's prepare to celebrate what God is doing. You know, that's fine. You guys stay seated, do whatever you want. That's awesome. Making me feel right at home. And let's give God thanks as the church is growing. Amen. Amen. Take it away, Pastor Ryan. We hope that you learned something from this message and are able to apply it to your life. If you gave your life to Jesus for the first time or for the 10th time, please reach out to us on Facebook or email us at info at celebrationchurch.net. Thank you for listening. We'll see you again next week.